eight days ago, my son Luke was mowing some yards in the neighborhood, and I was checking on him, taking him some water, and was in a strange backyard, someone's yard I'd never been in before. So gave him the water, and I was going to leave, but the gate had shut, and we were locked in the backyard. There was no handle on the inside. So this is where logic would say, knock on the back porch door and ask the people to let you out. But we're a couple of guys, and we don't do logical things. So him being 16 years old, athletic, I said, why don't you jump the fence? I don't know why I added this addendum. I said, I can do it. And so Luke was smart enough, he kind of laughed and said, yeah, right. <laughs> now, I forgot to tell you, this is a fence that is a little taller than the usual fence. I, I don't want to exaggerate, but I'm six foot tall. That was at least eight foot tall, maybe 10, but let's just say eight. So we're not exaggerating. And so the challenge was on. So I climbed to the top of the fence and there I perched <laughs> like a cat. A big cat, a muscular cat. And I'm perched on the top of the fence and I'm praying that none of you drive by because several of you uh, live in my neighborhood. And at this point, as I look to the ground, you know, I have, I have a couple of choices. The logical thing is to go back down and again, ask the nice neighbors to let us out. But I'm reasoning in my mind, okay, my deductible isn't that much higher than th this year. I'm not that far from reaching it, and I think I can do this. So sure enough, I, I leapt off the fence, and with my cat-like reflexes, I landed. And this may surprise you, but I lost my balance then. But I did a really cool move where I just I dipped my shoulder, and I rolled off the ground, and I popped up in the air. So Luke, again, laughing, he goes, did you fall? And as his father, his mentor, a man of God, his example, I said, no. <laughs> but when the fence opened, sure enough, there was mud on my pants. And so now what does that story have to do with the sermon? Well, I'd already titled the sermon, Open Up Your Gate. So I just thought that's a great story to, to, to launch us in. And it is Palm Sunday, and that is the name of my sermon, Open Up Your Gate. And I want to give you some background on the scripture Pastor Deborah read, and we'll be looking at John chapter 12, but also Psalm 118. We're going to look at both of those scriptures uh, through the three questions I have for you today. So Jesus entered Jerusalem uh, on the, the week of his crucifixion uh, and, and his subsequent resurrection, and, and he did so under celebration that we read, we read about. And you may remember this about Jesus. Jesus had always been really protective of his identity. He had told people, don't tell, don't tell who I am. Keep this miracle to yourself. Uh, keep this uh, miraculous happening amongst us. That was Jesus and his mode of operation up until this point. This was the one time in scripture that Jesus publicly announced himself. And publicly allowed people to see who he was. Now, why was that? There's probably several reasons, but I'll tell you a couple of them. It reminds us that Jesus is always in control. Because Jesus voluntarily gave his life on the cross. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't a plan that went wrong. And so God decided to save the world since the plan didn't go right. Jesus intentionally 
gave up his life on the cross because he knew he was going to be resurrected. And he actually wanted there to be an insurrection. He wanted the people to acknowledge who he is because he knew that would produce in the religious leaders this jealousy and it was a disruptive type of entrance. And then it would, it would move God's plan along. Jesus often said in the Gospels, you may have remembered this if you're reading the Gospels this year through our five by five by five plan. In the book of Mark, he would say, you know, later, later on I'll reveal myself. It's not my time. It's not time yet. And I'll, I'll, I'll get around to it. Now Jesus on Palm Sunday, what we call Palm Sunday now, he said, now's my time. And he was fulfilling a prophecy that had happened 500 years before. The prophet Zechariah said this in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. He predicted this. He said, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, which is Jerusalem. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. This was good news. But then here is a specific, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus was very intentional on how he entered Jerusalem and upon what he was riding and what he allowed the people to do because he was preparing them for God's plan. This moment was the height of Jesus' popularity. And as you may know, the same people who cried Hosanna also cried a few days later, crucify him, crucify him. And that's really the story of my walk with God too. I mean, I've done that in one week before. Praise you, God, praise you, God. And then I've denied him. Uh, I've denied him with my actions and my life. So we, we, we see a lot of ourselves in the story, stories about Jesus. So I'm going to ask you three questions today because this story is really relevant to us on Palm Sunday. Here's the first question if you're taking note. Is your gate open? That was relevant for me getting stuck in the backyard, right? Remember? So I had, to, I had to tell that good story. The gate was not open, and hence you heard that story. But more specifically on our, on our scripture today, Psalm 118 was a song that Jesus would sing. That's what's so beautiful about the Psalms. Uh, the Psalms are our prayer book, and we, when we pray the Psalms, we pray the exact prayers that Jesus prayed. Is that not beautiful? And he, he would pray the Psalms on a regular basic, basis as he observed Judaism. Psalm 118, starting with verse 19. Open the gates of righteousness for me. I will enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. Likely they're, they're singing about the temple that was in Jerusalem. This is the place where God, where people enter the ways of the Lord. But it's a metaphoric gate, too, because we know this, that when Jesus was metaphorical, when Jesus was talking about who he is, and he talked about being the good shepherd, he says, listen, enter through the gate. I am the gate. I am the one you enter. God wants us to have more access points to him. So here's a question today as we enter Holy Week on this Palm Sunday. Are your gates open to the things of God? Does the presence of God have access to your life? Are the gates of your heart open to everything God wants? You know, these days I'm trying to think about that in my life too. You know, I, I make a lot of effort 
to entertain myself. And that's part of a gift from God. That's part of uh, the joy of living in Nashville and being people, the suburbs. We enjoy the safety of the suburbs. And then thanks to all the taxpayers in Davidson County, we get to go to Nashville and enjoy all the great things down there also. That's supposed to be funny. Maybe you guys don't think that's funny. <laughs> Just getting, getting a little local politics in, I guess. So uh, Beth and I, we go to the symphony. We went Thursday night, and then I go with the, the boys to a lot of sports games and uh, make a lot of effort to go downtown, pay for parking, and fight the traffic for all of these different things to entertain myself. But I started realizing that, you know, there's sometimes I haven't really been making the effort to be around the things of God as much as I used to. Now, I still do a devotional life, and I read my Bible on a daily basis, and I pray every day and all of those things. But there was a time earlier in my faith in the different eras of my life where if I heard that the Holy Spirit was moving somewhere or there was some great theological teaching or there was, there was just a great gathering of Christian people, man, I would make the effort to be part of that and be around it and to be exposed to that. And nowadays, you know, I, I just that becomes a second priority and sometimes not even a priority. So something God spoke to me a few months ago, and it was a little different than a gate, but it was the same type of invitation. He told me, Aaron, come to my table more often, the table of the Lord. You know, maybe less entertainment. I'm not saying those things are bad, but they can be an idol. You all know that. I've been saying that a lot lately. Music and sports and, and even our political involvement, whatever it is for you, our hunting, certainly our kids' sports, all of those things can become an idol. They, all can, they can all be gifts from God. They can be gifts. They can be places where the kingdom can break in. They can be places of joy. But the Lord is just saying to me, open up access points, more access points, more places, more places where my presence can come. And it's not always connected with institutions. Like, you know, it's not always connected with church stuff or parachurch stuff. Um, it's our schedule. Sometimes it's been more my schedule. Lord, let me get up a little bit earlier so I can seek you. God, let me eliminate some things from my life so I can hear your voice more clearly. During this Lent season, I haven't done anything real remarkable for Lent, but uh, I have fasted sports talk radio. And I've actually listened to more sermons and listened to more intellectual things that have stimulated my thinking. And I may not go back to hearing about the Titans third string center anymore. It's not bad. It's just not beneficial. Just for me, just for me. So the point is this, open up the gates. Open, let, 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 let Jesus enter in new places, new times, new ways. Let Jesus have more access points. And that's the heart of Psalm 118. Open up the gates. Man, man when, when the temple is open these centuries ago, we're going to the temple. We're going, we want the presence of the Lord. Now we can access the presence of the Lord. Lots of different ways, lots of different opportunities. But we have to want the gates to be open. Psalm, excuse me, John chapter 12, verse 13, back to our text for the day. We'll reread what Deborah read. They took palm branches and they went out to meet him. Notice there that sometimes we have to go and make effort to encounter Jesus. We have to go out of the city. We have to go out of the normal place. We have to go out of our regular rhythm so we can meet Jesus. They took palm branches and went out to meet him. And they kept shouting, Hosanna. Hence, 
our song selection today. We, we don't often, always sing those songs, but the, the word Hosanna to commemorate and celebrate this Palm Sunday. He who comes in the name of the Lord is the blessed one, the King of Israel. The palm branches, they were symbolic of victory and celebration, and they had come to symbolize the Jewish people and their desire for an independent state. So no doubt, people there were, were summoning Jesus to political power and calling Jesus to military power. And so motives were certainly mixed when Jesus was being praised. But guys, he was worthy of the praise nonetheless. So this, this made me think of our culture. And even though I believe we're in a post-Christian culture here in America, there are still remnants of when we were more Christian orientated. And so things will happen like, for example, a friend of mine this week opened up prayer for the state of Tennessee uh, legislature and opened up prayer for that. And of all the people, the politicians and, and their staff and the police officers and all the people who were in that room, I would dare say they they were not all focused on that prayer. And maybe I can say this because I can say this about myself. They weren't worthy of God's presence. And then we can say, well, what's the point? What's, what's the point if, it, if it's just, if, if people aren't pure or they're not into it? Well, still he deserved, Jesus deserved to be honored. He deserved to be honored in that legislative house. It's kind of like this Palm Sunday. Is there were a lot of mixed messages, motives. Some people are like, come on, summoning Jesus as a politician or as a king or as a military power. And those same people turned on Jesus, but yet he still deserved it and he was worthy. Hosanna literally means save now, we pray. You may want to write that down. Hosanna means save now, we pray. It had become this expression of praise. And what an appropriate expression for us now. Save us now, God. Save us now. God, come, save us right now. Come, Lord, to our city. Come to our neighborhood. Come to our schools. Lord, manifest your kingdom now in my life, in my generation, in the years that I live. God promised that if his people who are called by his name will humble themselves and seek his face, and turn from their wicked ways, then God will hear our prayers and will heal our lands. Guys, we are healers. We have a chance to see a new move of God in our nation that is unlike anything we've seen, unlike the first great awakening, unlike the second great awakening, unlike the charismatic renewal. We will see God move in a new, fresh, significant, transformational way if we want it, if we pray it. God, in his graciousness and his sovereignty, has chosen to respond to the desperation of his people and the prayer of his people. So here's the deal. It's really hard to pray for a move of God when we're comfortable with our life. We're kind of immature in this. We become people of prayer when we're broke. We become people of prayer when we're sick. We become people of prayer when our relationships are disrupted. 
Become, we become people of prayer when we don't feel like we can control our kids. But guys, God is calling those of us who are in a place of peace and safety and prosperity and you are enjoying your life. Can you have the discipline to be desperate for God and to pray for your nation, to pray for your community, to pray for people, not because you're at rock bottom, but because you understand the significance of the day that you live in. It's very difficult to do that, but the Lord is maturing us. And he's calling us not to be responsive people, to be pro, but to be proactive people. To pray his kingdom come. To pray his presence in our, in our situation that we're in. God wants you to carry his presence to the place that you work, to the school that you attend. And there's different areas of, of our county that needs the presence of God. We need the presence of God among our Board and aldermen. I mean, I respect those guys. I love those guys. We need uh, unity, though. We need understanding among them. We need it at Vol State. Man, Vol State is such an opportunity. Vol State Community College, you have multitude of adults, young and, and non-traditional adults who, who are searching and transition in their life. And God wants his kingdom to come and his will to be done at Vol State. He wants his presence to invade every area Every area that we touch in our high schools, our, our, our high schools are desperate for more morality to come again, to a standard of morality to be lifted up again. God wants his presence to touch every sector, and we're the carriers of his presence, and we welcome his presence, and we're the ones that invite his partnership because in his sovereign will, he has decided to respond to our prayers. So I say, Hosanna. Save us now, God. Save us in 2018. Save us out of the religious spirit in Sumner County, Tennessee. Save us from living average, unaffected lives because we're comfortable with our lifestyle in the suburbs. Save us now, God. Save us from ourselves. We need you in desperation, God. We need revival and a renewal of the kingdom of God among Little League sports. Amen. I'm ready to see kids start to go on mission trips again instead of just sports trips. I'm ready to see students that are, are, are going to the mission field instead of just another choir trip. Because the kingdom of God has come and has invaded our culture and our life and the places where we live. So this word, Hosanna, is not a distant historical word for people who lived long time ago. The word Hosanna is for us today. Save us, God. Save us now. Save us from our materialism. Save us from our, our desire to just look richer than someone else instead of actually building income in our lives. And we are so full of pride. And we need your salvation. And here's a great thing. Is God loves it when we cry Hosanna. Because he wants to be involved, guys. He wants, any area we invite the Lord, he'll come. He'll come. The Lord will come in any area that, that, that we'll invite him. In our relationships. Any area that we invite him. I pause there for a reason because I was trying to, trying to decide whether I should say something, but I decided to move on. Sorry. And I'm just going to pray, pray that. I'm sorry, that's not fair for you as a public communicator to say that. 
about 300 years before Jesus came to, to earth, you may remember from eighth grade world history, there was a man named Alexander the Great, we call him now, who was a military tactician like none other. He, he changed the world. He united the Mediterranean world. And he died very young. He died at the age of 33. And he was so revered that he was actually worshipped as a god for um, a couple hundred years uh, after his death. And he had come to Jerusalem. And he had come, and legend tells us that he entered Jerusalem somewhat like Jesus did. The religious leaders, the Jewish leaders, met Alexander the Great outside of the city, as was the custom in those days. And they met him because they wanted to explain to him that Daniel the prophet had prophesied three kingdoms to rule over the Jews. And one of those kingdoms they believed was Alexander the Great's kingdom. And their interpretation of the prophecies in the book of Daniel, they shared this with him. And it was a peaceful uh, transfer of power they subjugated to his rule. And that led to 60 years before Jesus, approximately, the Romans taking control. And there again, the Romans had a custom that if one of their generals was victorious in battle, if he had killed 5,000 or more people, he would enter the city under much celebration, much like we would, we would see a ticker tape parade in one of our major cities, but much grander than that. And he again would come on a great stallion, showing that he was a powerful king. And so when Jesus entered Jerusalem, probably the Roman soldiers who were watching over the city snickered a little bit because these probably poor people with their palm branches were waving them and putting them on the road. And they were acknowledging him. And though we celebrated all these years later at the time, it was somewhat of a joke to the earthly power. It wasn't to, to the people who were participating. So it was that Jesus intentionally chose this, this donkey that had never been ridden before. Because he was coming on a mission of peace. And if he would have been a warrior, he would have come on an experienced animal. An animal who had been in battle. But this was an inexperienced cult. And he did that to show that he was bringing a kingdom of peace. And it was not what the people were looking for. So here's my second question for you today. Is the donkey okay? I know that's an unusual type of question if you usually take notes when I speak. You probably didn't guess that if you were trying to guess the fill in the blanks. But the question is this. Do you need Jesus to come with spectacular earthly power in your life to prove his worth? Or will you take Jesus in a common, humble way? Will you take Jesus on a donkey? Verse 14, Jesus found a young donkey. This is, this is John chapter 12, verse 14. Jesus found a young donkey. One that had not been ridden, one that had not been broken in. And he sat on it, just as it was written, Fear no more, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. It was a paraphrase of Zechariah 9, 9. Jesus was fulfilling prophecy here. Not everyone liked it. So it is that there has been a great rejection of Jesus. In our lifetime, in the early 20th century, 
Jesus was criticized and the resurrection was attacked. Scripture was attacked. And then the idea that God is dead, this, this whole rejection of Jesus, and there was a response to that known as fundamentalism that has determined so much of who we are today. But my greater point is this, is that culture keeps rejecting, 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 rejecting Jesus. The same song that we read earlier, Psalm 118, predicted this. It says, the stone that the builder rejected, this is verse 22, has become the cornerstone. This came from the Lord. It's wonderful in our eyes. This is a scripture that Jesus quoted. He, he was familiar. Jesus quoted the scripture about himself. Now, I, I don't know a whole lot about building. I don't build stuff. I'm the guy you don't want to hammer in his hand. Thankfully, I have a wife who knows how to repair things around the house. Thank you. <laughs> Tell me this lady can do it all. And then I have lots of you that I can call. But I do know this. If I'm imagining a building with stones, that the builder took one stone and said, no, throw this on the scrap pile. This stone's not what we need. This stone's not qualified. It's not good enough. It's not what I'm looking for. Throw it over there. And this is what people have done with the teaching and life of Jesus. This is not what we want. It's not what we're looking for. We're going to throw it away. But God says, listen, that which has been thrown away, I'm actually making it the cornerstone, which holds all the pressure of the building. If you don't have the right cornerstone, everything falls apart. Jesus is the key. He holds all things together. Our problem is we want an earthly hero too bad. And as much as we're warned about it through history, we're warned about it even through messages like this, we just want that earthly hero. We want that tangible person that we can look to, that that we can put our hope in. And every single leader will let you down. I am sorry. If you stay under my ministry, if I'm your pastor for a long time, I'm going to either disappoint you or take you off or you're going to disagree with me. Every single human being will let you down. That's why we have Jesus who is so perfect. And we, got, we, we have worship and we go to the Lord's table because we keep turning ourselves to Jesus and we turn ourselves to Jesus and we turn ourselves to Jesus knowing that earthly human power will always let us down. That's why we're in the middle of this cultural reckoning called the Me Too movement. It's something that I think is a good thing. I think it's a good thing that it's an answer to prayer. That things that were accepted 30 years ago and 20 years ago and 15 years ago, now we're saying we're not going to accept that kind of behavior. Leaders in power cannot take advantage of their employees. Leaders in power cannot take advantage of those who are in their organization for selfish means. And why? Because of the way our workforce is organized, mostly men, but there probably will be more examples of women in the future, but we'll say this, that when men are in power, there's just an incredible, incredible temptation for sexual misconduct. And we've had a culture that has accepted that in the past and now culture is saying no longer now notice it's not the church that is saying no longer it's wider culture itself 
This puts us at a very interesting place as a church. And here's why. We are a church who has preached grace and forgiveness and mercy and multiple chances. So many of the people who have been um, agitators or have, have been the predators in the past are worshiping with us now. At the same time, as a church, we have to speak up for victims. We have to let them feel safe. We have to understand that many times victims, it takes decades before they're comfortable to have the confidence to tell their story. And their story does need to be told and their story needs to be heard. And so we are positioned at a great place to offer grace and forgiveness and love and justice and all of it through Jesus. We should strongly listen to victims. We should strongly advocate for victims. We should strongly care about these stories. We shouldn't minimize them. We shouldn't push them to the side. We shouldn't act like they're not important. But at the same time, those who have caused the pain, those who have operated evilly, they're welcome to the Lord's table because of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. It's an uncomfortable place, isn't it? It's called the kingdom of God. We're all welcome to the table through the grace of our Lord. This is one example of the gospel is the answer to the problems of culture because we can offer truth and grace. Standards and unbelievable, undeserved forgiveness. And we can do it simultaneously because we don't offer a principle, we offer a person. And he loves all people. Even the people who do really dirty, rotten things. And he cares. Jesus cared about the victims the moment it happened. Not just when it was culturally trendy to care for them. Well, let me give you... Oh, I'll say one more thing about that. The Easter season reminds us that we have one proven, tested, and perfect leader. The only leader we can rely on, Jesus Christ, the only perfect Son of God. I'll tell you this last story before I close. In 1997, I went to my first UT Vols football game. Take it easy, everybody. All right, it's March. Now, I'm not a UT Vols fan, but I'm not a hater either. I'm just, I'm ambivalent. When they win, it happens to make most of you happier on Sundays. So that is kind of nice. So I went to this game, and, and a friend of mine, he's one of our missionaries now, he had season tickets, and, and he plan, planned it, and it, Chris Exley is his name, and it was back when Peyton Manning was playing. It was a big deal to go. So he paid for the gas. He paid for the tickets. He hosted me. We show up at the stadium, and I say, I'm going to go get something in concessions. And he said, well, they're about to run through the tea. 
Well, I'm from Texas. I didn't know what that meant. I said, well, I think I have enough time to go get the concessions and be back. He's like, no, you really don't want to miss this. I'm like, no, man, it's cool. I've got it. So I go and I get in line and I'm waiting to get the food. And I hear the place go crazy. So I come back with my hot dog and soda. And he just looks at me with disdain, just shakes his head no. I was in the stadium, but I did not recognize the arrival of the team. The team arrived a certain way. So here's my last question. Will this Jesus who entered on a donkey, palm branches, will he get your recognition? That's the last point, the last question. Or is it possible that we are in church and in a Christian culture and maybe even we're a pastor who, you know, my job is to be in church, but I miss Jesus. I miss his heart. I miss his activity. I miss his teachings and his principles and his, the essence of who he is in every situation. This is what Psalm 118 says further in verse 24. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, save us. That's that Hosanna again. Lord, please grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We heard that in John chapter 12, did we not? From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God and has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give you thanks. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Man, look to the Lord. Look to Jesus. For those of you who will take communion today, one of the reasons we offer weekly communion because it keeps turning us to Jesus. It keeps turning us to Jesus. If you, if you didn't like, didn't prefer the music and you thought the preaching was terrible, you have Jesus, right? That's why we're here. This is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is Jesus. Blessed is the one that we worship. Blessed is the one that we revolve our lives around. Blessed is the one who changed history. Blessed is the one who's come on the donkey. He's humble. He's not what we expected, but he's what we need. He's not what we would have chosen, but he has come to us in very common ways. He's come to us through this church service. He's come to us through a Bible that some people have disregarded. He's come to us through the Ten Commandments and a moral code that says don't live your life selfishly, but through God's power, live your life by by an invitation the Lord has given. He's come to us through something as simple as the bread and the cup. We eat the bread, we drink the cup, something we picked up from a grocery store, but it becomes holy when we acknowledge Jesus. He comes through us through a middle-aged man who's struggling to raise a family and he's dealing with all the stuff you're dealing with, but I come up here and I give you the scripture and I give you the scripture and I give you stories. I'm trying to make it interesting and trust that God's anointing is going to make it life, 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 life. He comes through these musicians. I mean, these are talented musicians, but they're, they're, 
they're, they're musicians that are just like you, but we got a guy who is in landscaping, another guy in construction. We have a school teacher. We have a hairstylist. They're, they're just like you, but together they're bringing this music and, and they're coming and, and some people could disregard what we do and say that it's, it's not significant and it's, it doesn't really matter and it's not important and, and it, it's not as relevant as it used to be, but we come in the name of the Lord and we come humbly and it may be an untrained donkey and it may be some, some branches that were grabbed off a tree, but God is making it his power and his announcement and his transformation to the world. John 12, 16, his disciples did not understand these things at first. However, when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. This idea is that we don't have full understanding yet. We understand some things and some things we're understanding a little better and some things we won't understand until the day we stand before God. We're resurrection people. We're between his resurrection and his coming again. And we're living our life the best we can with the best understanding we have. But we don't have all things figured out. But we know the one who does have all things figured out. I want us to stand together.